It is good to be with you on this Consecration Sunday and to hear the words that you received in your stewardship packet read aloud in church, those from Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth. Whenever we hear a message from these correspondences, the letters that make up a big part of our New Testament, I'm always struck by two things. A reminder that we are overreading someone else's mail. It was most likely not intended for us to hear, although a council in the 4th century decided that it was. And we don't know what the other side of the correspondence was about, but when you read the letters to Corinth, you know that they had some conflict going on. I'll get to that in a second. But the other thing I'm always struck by is how even in the 1st century, just like we are in the 21st century, they were figuring out how to do church, how to keep doing this association of like-minded people trying to follow the ministry of an itinerant rabbi who predeceased them in this earthly life, but lives and reigns with them in the spiritual life. There's a lot we can learn from their conflicts. And as Paul says, there is jealousy and quarreling among them in Corinth. Now, Corinth was a cosmopolitan city at a crossroads of navigation and trade, and there were a lot of people on the make. It was probably about 100,000 people for an ancient city. It was a big size at that time. A lot of people in Corinth were very status conscious. They were sort of a city made in the emblem of the imperial capital of Rome. I don't know, you might think of it as if Boston, now perish the thought, were made in the image of New York City and that we were trying to keep up with New York in status, financial and cultural and economic. Also, there were many different religious traditions going on. The Corinthians were, in fact, Greek people being governed by a Roman system. There were huge inequities of rich and poor. There were pagan practices of the Greeks and the Romans, but then this new very small movement of Christians often meeting in houses and reading these letters coming from Paul, this zealous church planter who was traveling all over the Mediterranean. Many times I'm in awe that the tradition, the religion, survived at all. You heard in this reading that Paul is admonishing them, don't worry about who you're following. If it was Apollos who taught you, or if it was I who taught you, or someone else to follow this faith, don't worry about it. Just stay focused on the ultimate goal. It's kind of as if you were in the civil rights movement in the 60s and you were a diehard follower of Martin Luther King Jr. Or maybe you wanted someone more radical like Malcolm X, or furthermore radical like Stokely Carmichael. Whoever you were following, the chief message was, what are you chasing after? What are you trying to get at? What is the main purpose of your movement? We see it now nine months, nine months out from the Iowa caucuses, that people are starting to line up behind one of 23 to 25 candidates and who they will follow, who they pledge their loyalty to, who they think has the right ideas. But Paul is saying, don't worry about who taught you. Remember, one of us may have planted the seed, one of us may have watered it, but it's God who makes everything grow. We are serving a larger purpose. Now, those of you who've been following along know that in our stewardship campaign, which is our annual campaign to 
to secure our pledges, our commitments for the year ahead, for our financial year that runs July through June, for our program year, of all the ways that we want to share our time, talent, and treasure, those erstwhile organizers of these campaigns have kept the same theme that we had last year. And it's a phrase taken from this passage, the idea that we are co-workers in God's service. The Greek word, sin ergos, that we are workers with, comes into our English language as synergy, an idea that when we work together, the sum is greater than the parts. In this series of co-workers in God's service, last year we looked at several notable Christians in our history. We're doing it again this year. You'll remember that we had a Brazilian bishop who devoted his life to serving the poor. We had Thecla and this year Perpetua, rediscovered heroines of the early days of the Christian faith. We had St. Nicholas and St. Francis, well-known names in Christian history, but who we've explored a little bit more. Last year, our seminarian preached on Wangari Mathai, a Kenyan uh, eco-activist who does this in her Christian tradition. We even heard about one of our members who is currently behind bars and the way he has been a co-worker in God's service. But as indicated by the photo on the cover of your order of worship today, I would like us to reflect a little bit more on seeing ourselves, all of us here, as those co-workers in God's service. I don't know how often you've walked out of these doors or even thought to say to family or friends, you know, I'm a co-worker in God's service. It may sound a little presumptuous, a little boastful. It may even be a strange way to think about yourself. It may reframe the way you think of yourself. For as Paul writes, we do not often think of ourselves as living by the Spirit, but people who are still worldly, living fully in the life of the world and as its social norms define it all around us, rather than first thinking how is the Spirit of God defining our life here and now. We act, as he says, like mere humans, and not like spiritual people having a human experience. I believe that you and I are co-workers in this place and outside this place whenever we do an act that helps people have a more abundant life. Whenever we help a person in need, we are being a co-worker with God. Whenever we advocate for a policy or work with people in power to make things better for the most vulnerable among us, you and I are being co-workers with God. Whenever we bring a glimpse of heaven into people's lives who are living in a hell, we are co-workers with God. Whenever we are agents of healing, whenever we are helping another person to grow in knowledge and self-reliance, Whenever, as Jesus preached, we bind up the broken, give sight to the blind, provide release to the captive, set the oppressed free, welcome the stranger, the downcast, the refugee, the asylum seeker, the lost and forsaken. Whenever we do any of these things, we are co-workers in God's service. Because, you know, God can't do it alone. Actually, if you want to find the hands of God, look at the end of your own arms. If you want to find the feet of God, look just right below you. If you want to find the voice, the imagination, the heart of God, God is seeking to beat and think through each one of us. Now, some of you know when I came here almost six years ago, 
I came with an idea that I was here to fulfill the vision and ministry of the United Parish in Brookline. Part of that is what we reiterate every Sunday, our exalting in worship, our gathering in community, our stretching into justice, our deepening in Christian faith and spirituality, and the ways we steward our resources. But in that vision is another concept, which I don't think we emphasize nearly enough, that we are to be a community that calls, equips, and serves. We call people into ministry, ministry that meets their talents and the world's great need. We equip them in this place to do that ministry, and we send people out to serve. It's been easy to think of that in terms of right inside these walls and how we call and equip and serve, but we're also called to do it outside of this place. That is how we really put our co-working with God into action. That is how we bring the Spirit of God out into the world. I often think that we should look at what each one of us already does, whatever that may be, whatever our profession or our job or what we're seeking to do or our family relationships or our friendships, and we think of how we are called to that work, how we may be equipped in this place to do it, and how we go out and serve among others. Paul's message to the Corinthians reminds me that even though we are an active and vibrant church, we are part of something much bigger, something much more global, a widespread, wide-reaching movement. I was dipping into the history of the formation of the United Parish in Brookline. Many of you know that we are the merger of three congregations that started to come together in the 60s. One of them still has a building that's gone condo over here at Park and Vernon, St. Mark's Methodist Church. One of them, the building no longer exists, but it was over here. It was the Baptist Church in Brookline. And the rest of the people met right in this building, which was the Harvard Congregational Church and later the Harvard United Church of Christ. And it was three visionary co-workers in God's service, Don Williams from St. Mark's, Walter Van Hoek from Harvard Congregational, and Vic Scalisi from the Baptist Church, who came together and they started looking at the demographic factors going on in Brookline that more people were moving further out into the suburbs, that we had a highly transient population of people coming for training or education and moving on, and also that this town at the time was about 60% Jewish. And so Protestants were moving on and outward to other places and dwindling. In the 60s, 50s and 60s, those three churches had a combined membership of 5,000 people. At the time they formed the United Parish, it had dwindled down to about 900 people among the three congregations. Today, our stated membership, and I realize not everyone in the pews are members, our stated membership is right about 254. So you see how secularization and commitment to church has changed in the demographics around us. And we continue to be an outpost for the Christian gospel the Christian message, in a world that has become less and less interested in it. I think this is a powerful ministry. This is a powerful job that we have to do. I've actually devoted my life to it, is how powerful I think it is. And I believe each time we come here today, we dip back into that calling that we may be equipped to do it and to serve others among us. I happen to believe that it's vital and important for us to stress the progressive trend in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. 
that this is, at its best, a faith that is about liberation, about empowerment, about lifting up the vulnerable, about helping the downcast. It is about making sure that every one of us has an opportunity to live life in vital, creative ways with dignity. Now, the good news about this congregation right now is we are at a very vibrant time in our life. We have been for several years now. Ministries are burgeoning. New people are joining us. Babies are being born in our midst. Some are right here in the pews waiting to be born. I know for a fact. We are also a church that keeps stretching, trying to figure out what our role is. And I believe we need to think more deeply about what our role is to the community around us. What is the unique gift that we have to offer right here outside our doors to the shopkeepers and neighbors that are here? Not to convert them necessarily to our faith, but to offer them a vibrant community of love and grace and forgiveness and fellowship, of inclusion and belonging. I also believe that each of us, as I said at our all-parish meeting in November, needs to be able to claim our authority as co-workers with God, as our own kind of ministers. If you look on the back of the order of worship, it says the ministers of the United Parish are all of us. And I believe that we all have a leadership position to take here. If we are an usher, we are the first line of hospitality, and that carries with it a weight and a responsibility and a privilege. The same if we're singing in the choir or helping lead worship. We are here to shape and guide the spiritual experience of everyone so that we may collectively be inspired to go on and live our lives in spirit, life-giving ways. If we teach up in the nursery or the church school, we are entrusted with the spiritual life and well-being of the youngest among us. And that is a responsibility and an authority and a privilege that all of us share. And on and on throughout all of the ministries that go on in this place, there is a charge that is just as important for each one of us in the pews as it is for those of us who serve on staff. I believe this is something Paul would want to see in us, that we see ourselves as sin ergos, co-workers with God, here in this place and on outside of it. And it is still true what he says about Apollos planting the seed and Paul watering. In my last church, when I first joined them, I wanted to learn a little bit more about their history, so I invited the moderators, that is, the people who had been the leaders of the church. We call them moderators because their job is really to facilitate and moderate between all the viewpoints of how we should do church. It's an awesome job. Just ask Kate Baker Carr, Bob Schramm, or Ben McGraw, or any of the others who have been moderators in this place. I asked all the moderators to meet with me going back to 1983. This was in 2010. And one by one, I had them tell the story of their year in this position in the church. And I heard about all the conflicts and the good things that had happened, some of them important, some of them petty. I heard about how they decided to become an open and affirming church when they decided that it was cool to let LGBTQ folks be a part of the full covenant in faith through marriage and also through ordination and in service. I heard about the, how they weren't quite ready for that in the 80s and they came back to it a few years later. I heard how they decided to embark on a renovation and upgrade of their church that Advisors told them it was way beyond their means, but by the time I got there, their $3.5 million renovation project had been completed. 
I heard how they had been of service to others in the community, how they'd worked with the local native folks on the reservation, how they had served in justice and peace ways. I also heard about the conflict of the pastors who preceded me and how it started as a small little seed and after a decade's time had devolved into just the two of them communicating by post-it notes on their computers, keeping it hidden from the rest of the congregation. As I heard each story, I could see this story unfold as each person told about their leadership in the congregation. And finally, as we got to the end of that narrative, the most recent moderator said, I just realized something here, that what you do in your year as moderator never gets finished, that you are planting some seed that others may water, that may grow into the future, that all along God is giving the growth. There are ways we do things in this place. There are hearts we touch, minds we inspire, hearts we hold here in the sanctuary, in our church school, in our various ministries, and sometimes we never see the results. Today we will bless our seminarian as he goes on to other places to serve in hospitals and places unknown to us. But what has happened here this year with him he will guarantee you and I will guarantee you will go on to serve and affect the lives of others. There may be people in the pews today who came in searching for a bit of hope, who needed to touch something deeper and more sustaining, who will go forth from this place touched in ways we may never know. I believe that maintaining this outpost of the Christian faith here in the United Parish is vitally important. It is something we all share in, and it is a synergistic act. So today, when we bring up our pledge commitments, and if you need a pledge form, our ushers still have some, or if you just want to bring up an offering or the welcome card or just a prayer or just to come up and participate in this processional, when we come up, we are consecrating something new. We are pledging ourselves to God's work in this place, in continuing the ministry of Jesus Christ as best we understand it, and with trust in the Holy Spirit to sustain us on this day and on into the future. It is good and blessed work, and we are privileged to take part in it. Amen.